You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Hey, uh, if we haven't met, my name's Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. Guys, thanks for getting up. Thanks for spending your Sunday with us. Uh, two bits of housekeeping, and then we'll get into the message today. And, and while I give you these, I, I can tell you, if you want to open up your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6 today. That's where we're going to be, uh, 1 Corinthians 6. So two bits of housekeeping. Number one, uh, students' night is tonight at Lefty's, 6.30 to 8 p.m. Uh, we're really excited about this. Our student ministry is kicking back off. And so we're going to treat uh, middle and high schoolers to some laser tag and some fun. They're going to get to meet our student ministry team leaders. Uh, so if you are a student or you own one, uh, come on out. Uh, to Lefty's at 6.30 tonight. We're excited about that. Next thing, I just want to, this was in the announcements. I just feel the need uh, because every now and then, I don't know, like, you know, it, we're getting situated in our seats and so maybe we miss it. Uh, today's message is not for kids, okay? So I don't see any kids in here, but if uh, if there are any watching online, uh, we would just say, maybe have them sit this one out. Um, go put on, I don't know, Door of the Explorer or something in the other room and, and come on back. Um, because today we are talking about sex and everybody say, ow! I didn't expect you to do it, sorry. <laughs> um, and, and, and we need to. Um, <laughs> I, I got to get back on track here, people. So uh, uh, we sort of want to clarify, like, what the Bible says and doesn't say about sex. And, and 1 Corinthians 6 is a really big passage on this. And here's why I feel the need to do this. Um, the church that I've grown up in, I, I'm very, very thankful for um, and maybe the church that, that you've grown up in or the church that you came to faith in, something that's interesting that's happened has been the church has been very reactionary when it comes to the idea of sex. So a lot of us, uh, we, we came to faith in an environment that was post uh, the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. And, and so, you know, people had sort of, they were shirking societal norms when it came to sex and sexuality. Uh, mainly uh, the sort of, it was sort of commonplace before then the belief that sex was to be uh, between a man and a woman in marriage and then and nothing else. And then uh, after that, I'm not, I'm not saying that people uh, always practiced that, but that was sort of what everybody believed was right and good. And then and along came the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s, people began to, to ditch all of that. And so the church, what the church did was we pivoted. And so we began to overemphasize sex to, to degrees that perhaps the Bible didn't necessarily teach about it. So, so for instance, like, you know, I can remember um, this thing called purity culture. And purity culture sort of taught that the, the be-all be end-all of, of existence was sexual purity. And so, you know, like we sort of picked up along the way this belief, like, listen, if you just save your virginity until you're married, then, man, when you get there on your wedding night, the glory of, do of God will come down, and, and angels will play harps, and it will be just, so, it'll be so life-giving. It'll be so life-giving. Like, if you, just, if you just save yourself, and, and everyone sort of, like, picked up this, this is all of the emphasis of virginity, and so you had things like people, like, the, you would buy promise rings. I don't know if you guys remember promise rings, right? Like, promise rings, like, with the, the True Love Weights movement, you bought this ring, and it was you saying, listen, I'm, I'm saving myself for, for my, my future spouse, the one, and I'm making this promise with this ring. There were, there were, there were, there were songs that were, like, there were sort of, you know, popular uh, mainstream Christian radio that were all about uh, about 
sexual purity and virginity. Like I remember, I don't know if you guys remember Rebecca St. James. Remember Rebecca St. James, like like the Australian sensation? No, some of you look at me weird. Rebecca St. James, she she okay, like she had that song. She's like, I'm waiting for you, darling, and everybody's like, oh man, you know. I remember being I remember being a youth retreat and like and like and the big like snotting moment that you knew like somebody had like received the Holy Spirit was if they confessed that they had had sex and then and they were turning from it right. So I remember one guy like at the youth like the young men's retreat I was on like he literally at the end of the moment like this was the culmination and he's like because we had like a cross right there's a big cross and you'd you'd write your secret sin on it and nail it to the cross and this was the way to show that like that you like you're giving it over to Jesus and he's like I took sex and I nailed it to the cross you know and we're all like oh you know like we're, we're, we're snotting and crying too and then there were other there were books too right like there was like I don't know if you remember like I, I, I kissed dating goodbye by Joshua Harris that was like the book that was like don't even kiss like you know and 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 the crazy thing is this uh Joshua Harris is no longer a Christian. Like, he actually recanted everything that he wrote in that book. And, and some people, they looked at that, and they were like, well, how does that happen? Like, like if purity culture is, is the be-all, end-all, how is it that somebody could emphasize it so heavily and then completely depart from the faith? Well, here's the reason. And so maybe we can just breathe a sigh of relief for a second here. Um, when you want to know what the Bible teaches about sex and sexuality, if you're taking notes, write this down. The Bible does not teach that sex is the be-all, end-all of existence. It doesn't. It doesn't teach that it's the center point of your faith. It doesn't teach that your faith rises and falls on you getting this part of your life right. Like the, the, like the Christian faith does not center around sex and sexuality. It just doesn't, Okay. And, and, and while that, and so, and so like maybe like today, like we're gonna touch on some things that are gonna be a little bit, uh, they might be some triggers, they, they might be a little bit sensitive subject, but here's what I want you to understand today. Like some people, they picked up this belief, that, okay, unless I keep myself, what the church has taught me is sexually pure, if I've dropped the ball there, man, I'm basically apostate. I'm, I'm basically like God is done with it. And it's just not true, okay? Like, like what happened was the church pivoted so hard in this direction that they overemphasized something almost on par with the cross and resurrection of Christ. And that's the thing, like what's the be all end all of your existence? It's not sex, it's knowing Jesus. Like the, be, like the thing that you and I exist for, if you're curious like what the meaning of life is, welcome to church in the first five minutes, let me tell you. It's to know God and make him known. That's why you're on the planet. Like the source of joy, the source of hope, the source of comfort in your life is knowing the Lord and getting to share that with other people. But here's the thing that the Bible does do. Because the Bible is countercultural when it comes to sex. And so today we're gonna see this in 1 Corinthians 6. And so while it doesn't teach that sex is the be-all, end-all of existence, it doesn't say that it's, that it's nothing either. It doesn't say that, like, you know, like sex is just, you know, it's, it's like it's, it's a, like a recreational activity that a, a couple of consensual people do. As long as it's consensual, it's fine. Or as long as, as long as you're ready, it's okay. It doesn't teach that. It teaches that it's more serious than maybe we give it credit. And so, and so if you're curious, like, here, let me just give you sort of the, the basic main idea up front, and we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians. Like, this is the biblical teaching of sex. It, it, and we're just sort of wading into those waters. It's not the, the deepest part of it, but just sort of to, to, to dip our toes into the pool. Here's what it does teach. It does teach that sex isn't just physical. It isn't. Sex isn't just physical. It's, 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 it's more than that. It's not the center of your, of your faith, hope, and life, but it's not nothing either. And what we're going to see today is, is to, to, to sin sexually, we, to, like we would do that to our own hurt and detriment. 
Now, again, I referenced that this is a sensitive topic, and so I want to just set this up the right way because a lot of, okay, let's, let's just own this. A lot of us, maybe we weren't raised Christians or maybe we dropped the ball there. And so, like, you know, when we talk about, like, one man and one woman in marriage, you're like, well, I didn't do that. Here's what I don't want you to hear today. This is not a condemnation sermon, okay? Like, there's this great story in John uh, chapter uh, 8 where Jesus meets this woman who's caught in adultery. And everybody's ready to throw the stone at her, and he gets, he gets the condemnation off of her. And he says this to her in John 8, 11. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. And that's the spirit of this talk. The spirit of the talk is, hey, you're not, like, it's, if you believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose from that, you are as forgiven and washed clean as anyone can possibly be. You're not condemned. But this is a go and sin no more talk, okay? So this is not, a, hey, let's drudge up your secrets. Let's drudge up the past to embarrass or shame anybody. No, no, it's a go and sin no more. Okay, like, maybe this is where you were, but you don't have to be there any longer because God's got a redemptive story for you. Again, like, the lead into the passage that we're about to read in 1 Corinthians 6 is 1 Corinthians 6, 11, where the whole conversation of sex, this is how it's set up in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It says, and that is what some of you were, talking about all kinds of sexual immorality, people who are engaging in all kinds of you know, idolatry and heavy worldly things. It says, but you were washed. You were washed, meaning like God completely washed away, wiped away your sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed our transgressions from us. You were washed and you were sanctified, meaning God is making you like Christ. And you were justified, which means declared righteous, which means when God looks at you, he doesn't go, hey, there's a sinner right there. Like if you're in Christ, he goes, listen, that one is mine. I don't see their righteousness. I see the righteousness of Christ. Like justified, declared righteous, okay? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of of God. So that's the leading to this passage. It's go and sin no more. Say, you've been washed, but if we're going forward in this new life in Christ, there's some things you need to know. If we're going forward in this new life of Christ, there, there's some things that, that maybe you've picked up as normal and that you think is easy, that you think is right and good, that isn't good for you. And so with that as the framework, here's the conversation. So let me just sort of uh, paint a picture. If you haven't been here, um, let me tell you a little bit about the people that this, this letter is written to, the Corinthian uh, church. So the Corinthians, uh, they're largely first-generation Christians. Like the Apostle Paul has gone to this ancient uh, shipping town called Corinth, uh, and he planted a church there. People left paganism and became Christians. And uh, Corinth, like, there, there was a, it was a center of trade for the Roman Empire. On top of that, it was a favorite vacation spot of the Emperor Caesar. And so because Caesar liked it, other people wanted to be there because they wanted to be in with Caesar, you know. And one of the, the, the centerpieces of life in Corinth was the temple to the, the, to the, the Roman or Greek goddess Aphrodite. Who was, and it was a sort of romance sexuality cult. And so at the temple of Aphrodite, you had thousands of prostitutes, male and female, employed, and they did this for their, their worship. That was church to them, was they went to this, quote-unquote, church, this, this, this temple to Aphrodite, and they had sex with prostitutes. It was part of the liturgy. We're not doing that here, but that's what they did, okay? And they, and they grew up with this very, very like, low view of sexuality. Basically, here's what they believed when it came to sex, like, like the Corinthians. They believed the following, that basically sex is just like any other bodily need. All right, listen, you know, like you get hungry, you eat. You get sleepy, you sleep. You get in other moods, you have sex. This, this, I mean, it's just, that's, that's how indifferent they were. I mean, you understand, like, and, 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 their, and their, their standards were so stinking low for this. Like, you understand, like, how relaxed they were with all of this. 
like to, to in, let's, let's say you have like a, a man and woman who are married in Corinth, okay? And the man goes and he sleeps with a prostitute. The wife wouldn't even consider that adultery. Like, because she'd just be like, well, yeah, you know, like as long as, as, long as you're not sleeping with somebody else's wife and as long as I get kids by you, it's fine. So, you're like, you know, how was your day, dear? Well, I slept by the, the temple and slept by the prostitute. Awesome, did you remember to grab eggs on the way? Like, that's what, that was their life. And so in this sort of like relaxed viewpoint, Paul writes the following. And so he begins by addressing the way they viewed life. And so he begins to sort of quote them and then go, no, but here's the truth. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. He says, I have the right to do anything. And he's, he's quoting them. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so what he does is he's just quoting their attitude about life. And he starts actually with Christian ones, okay? Because remember, if you're in Christ, you're no longer under the law, right? Like the sort of, like the moral law of God, the 600 plus commands of the Old Testament, Christ has fulfilled that for you. Like God does not relate to you based on how good of a person you are, but on how good of a person Jesus is. And so, and so what Paul says, well, listen, if the law is off me, off of me, I have the right to do anything. Isn't this great? Like I'm completely free to do whatever I want. And Paul goes, yeah, but not everything's good for you. I have the right to do anything. Well, yes, technically that's true. But he, he goes, but I will not be mastered by anything. Because here's the reality. Okay, let's say, okay, yeah, you're free or whatever. That's true, but there are certain things that are just within the nature of sin, like in just terms of what it does to a human being. And the first one is this, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Sin enslaves. Sin enslaves. So when Paul goes, listen, I'm not being mastered by anything. Like for the person who goes, listen, I'll just give in this one time. It's never that one time, is it? Come on. Like, like, like okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just indulge here this one, this one time just to feel a bit better, but it never stays at one time because sin is like this ravenous wolf that it just has to consume. It just has to keep coming back. And here's the crazy part. Like, you, you know, you indulge it a little bit. It doesn't just stay satiated. It grows. And, and the chains begin to lock around you just a little bit more. This, like, this is Paul's teaching. This is the teaching of Jesus. Like, in John 8, 34, here's what Jesus says. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Let me just bring this up for a second here, okay? Like, so for the, for, so for, for the brother who's in here, and you, and you view religion as oppressive, you go like, man, you're talking about this idea of like, of like controlling my sexuality, controlling my libido, that is so stinking stifling. No, dude, you're the one who's stifled because you have been mastered by something that you're not even giving it credit. Listen, for the guy who, who's like, man, you know, I, I just need to get laid. Okay, like you, you've been hooked on a drug. That drug is called pheromones. That drug is called Friday night. Like, you're, like, it takes over your thoughts, it takes over your motivations, it takes over your life trajectories and practices. Why? Because sin enslaves. That's, I mean, that's it's what it does. And so if you think, because I'll just throw off what the Bible says is good and I'll be free. No, you're just trading one master for a more cruel one. You're just trading, like, the Lord who is good for the sin that will kill and destroy. Sin enslaves. And that's Paul's very first point thing. I'm not going to be mastered by anything. I'm not going to give myself over to that. Because while, yes, Christ has fulfilled the law and goodness for me, I know that not everything in this world is good for me. And so he continues. Verse 13. You say, I only hear what I want to. Sorry. Um, 
You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. In other words, in other words, hey, since the food and the body, um, they're, they're, they're just regular bodily needs, right? And ultimately they'll be destroyed. It doesn't matter, you know? So like, so since food and the body ultimately destroyed, it doesn't matter. So since all bodily appetites are ultimately alike, that means the body is for sex and sex is for the body. That's, that's what they're getting out with that thought. And Paul goes, oh, no, not so much. So, so for the one who thinks, okay, well, listen, like, you know, like sex is just some other bodily need. And so it's okay to, to indulge it in any other way. Paul clarifies and he says this, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, this phrase that we translate as sexual immorality, I brought up before, is the Greek word porneia. That's where we get our English word pornography from. It refers to any sexual activity outside of one man and one woman in marriage. To them, that is considered sexual immorality. So, hey, am, am I sleeping with somebody that I'm not married to? Sexual immorality. Am I sleeping with somebody I, I'm married, but now somebody else? Sexual immorality. Like, and so, and so this is, you're not made for that. That's not the thing that God designed you for. And so this idea of, okay, listen, it's just another bodily urge. And if two adults get together and they both say yes, what's the harm? Paul goes, the two are not the same because your body is more than urges. Do you know that about you? Like, you're, you're like you're, your body isn't, like, so this idea of, you know, you, like you being made for the Lord, your body isn't made to indulge in sexual immorality. Your body is made for the plan of God to be redeemed in the resurrection. So this isn't a thing, because like, here's what happens, okay? Like, what they believe is actually, it's kind of permeated how we think. We don't even realize it. So a lot of us, we think spirituality is just a mental and after-death thing. So we think, okay, like, listen, how do I know that I'm growing spiritually? Well, I know new things about God, right? And then, and then what's the big hope of my life? It's, it's, it's heaven when I die, right? Like, if I go to heaven, like, that's, that's where everything is going is me going to heaven when I die. The problem is that this shortchanges the Christian theology of hope. The hope of your life is not heaven. It's the resurrection of the dead. Do you know that? Like the hope of the Christian faith, it's not, like heaven is this temporary thing that we go to while we wait for God to restore creation, for God to literally remove death and decay and sin from creation, to redeem the entire earth. That's why Revelation goes, I see a new heaven and a new earth. Why new earth? Because God's in the process of undoing the fall. And so this, this viewpoint of like, well, you know, it's like my spirituality is up here and it's some like ethereal thing. No, no, no. All of you is in the process of being redeemed. And so Paul looks at the Corinthians who are just believing this is like some other bodily need, and he goes, no, the problem is this. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Um, your body is part of the plan of God. Your body is part of the plan of God. It's the thing that, okay, the Holy Spirit resides in, and he's re renewing you, and he's going to make you new. He's going to raise you from the dead. Like, like your body, the thing that you're using in this regard, ultimately, isn't, a, isn't just like a sort of temporary holding ground for you. It's part of the redemption that God has for your story. Okay, the work of redemption is not for part of the person. It's for the whole person. And so this is big because we can't, just hear me, we can't divide spiritual from physical. This is the mistake that a lot of us make. We think of spiritual thing and then physical thing. And Paul will go, no, it's all of it. And the purpose of your life isn't sex. It's knowing God. And how you use your sexuality can get in the way of that. And how you use your body can affect that. Will it change God's love for you? No. But it will absolutely change how you experience life and the redemption that you experience in Christ. 
And so he, he continues this thought in verse 14. He says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. Why is he talking about this bodily thing? Because the body is part of God's redemption. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? We've talked about this before, this sort of like mystical union that takes place between the Lord and his people, right? Like what are Christians called? Not just Jesus followers, they're called the body of Christ, right? Like, like when, we, when we look at how Jesus speaks of the church, it, like the reason that you can know that your pain matters to God is because it's pain in Jesus' own body. Like, hey, listen, I'm 40 now. My back just hurts for no reason, Okay. I wake up in the morning, my back's like, forget you. I'm like, dang on it, right? Like, well, well, I can't just get away from it because it's in my body. In the same way, like what you go through, you just can't, like, it's not as simple as just like the Lord not being there. You're part of him. This is how much he identifies with you. And so he goes, listen, your bodies are members of, or, you know, parts of the body of Christ himself. He continues, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Like, like, would you expect Jesus to be sleeping with a prostitute? No. In the same way, he goes, listen, you can't bring the, 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 the body of Christ in that. And, and then he clarifies, he begins to get a little bit spiritual. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Now, let's just bring this home. Let's talk about what he's getting at here. Okay. Back to this idea of sex not just being physical, all right. Um, to the people who believe that this, that this is nothing, like it's just, just something that a couple people do, like wh whatever, Paul goes, listen, think about the least committal sex there is. Sex with a prostitute. I mean, like, you know, gentlemen, you, you know, like in the, in the church in Corinthians, like you, you go to the temple there, you, you sleep with this woman or man, depending on, on, on uh, who they go to, um, it's not like they're going to expect you to be calling them the next day. I mean, it is like, like literally, it's sex, money exchanges hands, they go their separate way. It's, it, it's as, as least entangled as it can possibly be. And Paul goes, even then, people are uniting. Even then, a bond is being formed. And he, and he clarifies the why. And so he says this. He, he, he quotes uh, Genesis and also something that Jesus said. Look at this, first, this line again. He says, for the two will become one flesh. And, this, and he's referring back to, if you remember Jesus' teaching on sex, sexuality. Look, I'll bring it up. This is Matthew 19. This is what Jesus says. Like, if you're curious what God's plan for sexuality is, Jesus would say, take it back to how he designed sex. Haven't you read, he being Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Be united to who? His wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In other words, hey, when two people have sex, it's not just this little recreational activity. That's not what God designed it for. That's not what it does. Instead, what God made sex to be is a bond between husband and wife. Like what God made sex to, to do is that it, it unites two people in lifelong commitment. And so 
And so what, what, essentially what sex is, is it's the spiritual signature of your wedding license, okay? Like, you know, when you get married to somebody, what you tell them, and, um, and, and you know, just, just so that you know, um, is that, hey, I'm gonna put you before me for the rest of my life. That, that's, that's, that's Christian marriage, right? Like, listen, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your, your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, hey, listen, put her before you all of your life. Uh, that, that's, that's marriage. At the end of the day, it's not just how I feel with romantic, like, you know, like little chemicals going off in my brain, but I make it, and I, so I love the, the chemicals going off in my brain, and, and, I'm, and I'm head over heels in love with my wife, but, it, like, she's the best person I've ever known, but at the end, she's really hot. Okay, but anyway, like, how to do that. It's like the cliche thing for the pastor to say, my wife's hot. But anyway, so, um, but look, but look, but at the end of the day, what keeps us together high and low is we've made a commitment to put the other person before us. Okay, well, well, why? Because that's what marriage is. And when you have sex with your spouse, then what you do is you basically are spiritually signing the covenant that you made. Because, hey, what more can you give a person but your body? Right? Like, like, what more can you give to someone? Hey, listen, I, I'm going to honor my, my word. It's basically me saying, like, sex is, is going, hey, listen, I belong to you. And here's what I would tell you. If a person is not willing to commit themselves to you in marriage, and I would say even further, have commit themselves to you in marriage, they are not worthy of your body because they haven't made that promise. It's like this, like, um, so... A little while ago, we had a thing break in our house, and we had to use this really, really neat invention called J.B. Weld. You ever use J.B. Weld? J.B. Weld is, I don't, I'm not a chemist, but it blows my mind, okay? Like, basically what you do is you take these two tubes, right, and, like, it comes with two tubes in a little packet, and you, and, you, and you squeeze out the tube together, and when you mix the two different things, it forms this bonding agent that holds, like, almost anything together, like plumbing, uh, wood. I mean, it's crazy. It's awesome, okay? But you get these two things that are different, and yet when you unite them, it forms this unbreakable bond. That's exactly what sex does. You have these two things that are different, and yet when you bring them together, what it does is it forms this unbreakable bond. And so here's why I'm bringing this up. Like, when we're curious, like, how did God design sex? For what did he design it? This is the thing why I would tell you, listen, don't be reckless with your body. Don't just give yourself away. Here's the thing to understand. Sex is the fruit of commitment, not the prerequisite for it. You understand, like, in, in this culture that's like, listen, well, if, like, let's just sort of, we'll get together and see if we're compatible, and, you know, like, there's, the, there's always the line of, like, well, listen, I wouldn't buy the, the cow without first tasting the milk. That's foolishness. Sex is the fruit of commitment, not the prerequisite for it. Why in the world should you have to audition for something with your body? Why in the world should you have to prove your love to somebody with your body? Why, like, I mean, it's something as sacred and special, the only one that you get. Why in the world should you be on the chopping block like a piece of meat for somebody who says they might be with you if you give yourself to them? Like, if they don't love you enough to put the ring on the finger, why in the world should you give them you? Because your body shouldn't be an audition. And your body shouldn't be a fling or something that's forgotten. You shouldn't be forgotten. You're more valuable than that. You're worth more than that. You shouldn't be one name among many. Somebody they compare you with, like, like you, they compare you to other people to say, well, you know, he's stacked up here, she's stacked up there. Like, you shouldn't be on a list like that. You're more important than that. Enter marriage that unites the two. And if you're willing to give yourself and your body to someone, why in the world would they give you anything less than full commitment? Because you can give them nothing more than you. 
So Paul continues, verse 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one in, with him in spirit. So now he clarifies something, guys, and he begins to warn them. Verse 18, flee, run from, get away from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, let me explain what he's saying here, because he's not saying that sex is a worse sin than anything else. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, listen, there's something unique about sex that when you sin sexually, it sticks with you. You lie, and, and the lie escapes your lips, and it might blow up later, but honestly, it's not the same thing. You steal, and, and, and you might get caught, but it doesn't, it doesn't stay the same way. Why? Because back to our first point, sex isn't just physical. It isn't. I love it. Andy Stanley like, takes this, and he asks a bunch of questions with this point that I think are really, really good. Because I think we, like, inherently we know don't we? That this isn't just something that two people do for, for recreation. If the Spirit of God is in you, you have to know. So why, I mean, if sex is just physical, why is it? Can we just, for a second, can we just own this? All right, why is it that some of your deepest regrets and biggest points of shame are sexual? Like, if it's just physical, why is it that when I sit down with somebody and they go, Pastor, would you just pray for me? And they won't say the thing that they want me to pray about. I already know because they're so ashamed. Well, I mean, if, if sex is just physical, like, we're talking like deepest places of shame, like why is it so many things affect our sexual life and sexuality that aren't sexual in nature? And like, why is it men with the, like over and over again, men with the deepest sexual issues normally have missing or disconnected fathers? Come on. Like why are they paying sexually for something that their dad did or failed to do. If it's just physical, if sex is just physical, hey, let's, let's talk about the abuse end of it. You're the person who's abused by an authority figure. And they can't, it's, it's, and listen, you, you, like, and it sticks with them for life. I mean, it tarnishes their life. It undermines their view of authority. And you can't say, well, it's just because, you know, like an authority figure let you down. We let, like, like, like can I say this to you as a person who's in authority? We let people down all the time. Not like that. I hate parents. <laughs> this is, you know, this, this isn't a thing of like, you know, I, I told my kid I was going to be there at five and I got there at six. Oh, man. And that sticks with them for the rest of their life. Now, this is something else. Like a person who's abused by a person in authority. And, yeah, they, and you can't just go, well, listen, like, you know, like the dirty old man touched me. Okay, moving on because it's just skin on skin. No, there's more to it than that. Hey, why is, it, why is it that rape is so much more devastating to a woman than being beaten up? If it's just physical, no, but you know. Hey, why is it people who are sexually abused are more likely to become abusers themselves? Shouldn't happen that way, right? Because, because they know the pain, they know what it does, and yet the cycle repeats. And there's something more to it than that. Why? Because sex isn't just physical. And Paul goes, listen, listen, listen. There's more going on here than you give it credit. There's more going on here than just, hey, you guys, like, engage in an activity and engage in a recreation. No, God designed you differently than that, and you are more important than that. Don't just sell yourself out. Don't just give yourself away. People don't. Guard it, protect it, preserve it within the boundaries and safety of marriage. To do so any other way is going to hurt you. 
And so he says this, verse 19. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? Here's, here's our next reason we bring this up. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, let me, this, this might get Christian high. You might see this on a T-shirt, and so it loses its significance. So let me just explain to you the power of what he just said. Think about how we do religion. How does religion work for most people? Well, you go to a special place, like the one that we're in right now, right? You go to a special place, and we believe in holy places. Hey, would you swear in here? Would you steal in here? Would would you carry on? Would you get drunk in here? No, because we're in a church. I would never do that, right? Because it's a special place. It's to us. it's 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 a temple. This is how people always think of it. They think of, in terms of religion, they think of religion as defined by special places, special objects, and special people. Right, special place, it's the temple where the God is worshipped, special objects, maybe it's an offering plate, maybe it's a chalice, I don't know. Special people, priests, clergy, what have you. And Paul goes, you have a complete misunderstanding of how God works. You want to know where the temple of God is, the special place? It's you. It's you. You want to know where the most sacred place on the earth is? It's wherever a Christian is. You know why? Because the very spirit of God rests in you. Now think back, if you know the Bible a bit, think back about how crazy a statement this is. Think about like the Old Testament with the tabernacle or the temple, right? You had the Holy of Holies. That's where the spirit of God dwelled, right? It was behind a curtain. It was for the specialist people, remember? And this is so sacred presence of God. And yet when Jesus died on the cross, it says the curtain of that place was torn in two from top to bottom. Like the 50-foot curtain, meaning God tore it. In other words, hey, the presence of God isn't going to dwell in that place anymore. He's going to dwell in a people. Hey, do you know that you are a temple? And, and so when you look at this and you go like, well, listen, there are special places. I would never do that in a church. Paul goes, you are the church. Do you understand? Like you are much more sacred than you realize. And then he continues and he says, you're not your own. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Hey, just brass tacks. Why be sexually pure? Because you don't have the right not to be. You don't belong to you anymore. Like you are not your own. You were bought at a price. What, what, were, you, what were you bought with? You were bought with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He died for you to make you his own. So listen, if you say, I want God to forgive me. I want to be in the family of God. Like that's what I want. Jesus say, I'll take you. But you're mine. You're mine. And that's good news for us because it means no one can snatch us from his hand. We're secure in him. But we also don't have the right to take things into our own hands because our own hands don't belong to us anymore. You don't have the right to be sexually impure. Why? Because you're stealing from God. I mean, that's the idea here. Like, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Hey, listen, can we just, in this room, okay, we don't pass a plate here. But if we did, imagine you were sitting here and we're passing the plate through and people are giving their offerings in that, okay? And you, and, and you just decided, you know what? I could use 20 bucks and just took it out. Shouldn't we have a problem with that? When we go, that's immoral, like you're stealing from a church, like you're stealing from the Lord, right? Okay, in the same way, your body doesn't belong to you. And for you to sin with it sexually, you are stealing from God because you're not your own. So he says, therefore, 
honor God with your bodies. And that's our last thing. Why be committed to sexual purity? Because it honors God. I mean, that, that, like, that's, like, if nothing else, okay, if you have no other reason, well, Bert, you know, maybe theologically I can debate the, 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 the one flesh thing, I can debate, okay, but, like, why, you know, so that's nice of you, and I'm gonna be super, super theological. At the end of the day, like, that should be enough. Why, like, why be sexually pure? Because it honors God. If you have no other reason, that should be enough. Here's the scriptures going, do this because it honors the Lord. You belong to God. For us, it's not enough, though, is it? We always, we always need the Why? Which I think kind of shows the shallowness of our faith that basically we can know what scripture says and it goes, but unless I understand why it says that, I won't do it. Well, like, hold on. How, how shallow is your faith? That, like, can you understand that at some point the supreme infinite God is gonna do things that you're not gonna understand? Can you get with him anyway? And just take a step of obedience. So here's, here's where I wanna go. Okay, I, I'm, I'm coming to the end. Okay, let's listen up. Because this moment is not a condemnation moment. I, I, just, I need you to hear me right now. Because okay, in this room, I know, like, everybody's squirming a little bit. They're like, oh, he made me uncomfortable, and oh, gosh. Like, I, I know, I know, I know. So listen up, listen up. Here's the good news, okay? The mercies of God begin anew every morning. The reason I'm bringing this up, remember, it's a go and sin no more. This is not a, hey, let's drudge up the things that you're deeply ashamed of. No, let's bring up those things and ask God to heal them. Like, and so here's where we're going today. We're about to wrap up, and, and we're about to wrap up in prayer. You know your story. You know it better than me. You know the things that you'd rather not talk about. And here's the good news. There is not a scar, not a failure, not a sin, not a letdown that the Lord can't turn into something beautiful. And so here's what I want to just invite you to do. Let's just seek him together today. All right, now, okay, we know this going forward. Here's the standard. This is how we want to live. This is how we want to be because this is what God has spoken. And that's enough for us. And so we're going to choose to trust him. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. If you haven't done that, this is not a day where God goes, I'm done with you. No, no, no. You're here because he's got something for you. Do you know that? That like you can't hear the word apart from the Lord wanting to work something in your life? Do you know that? Like if you want God, you couldn't want him unless he wanted you. So let's go to him together right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we seek you in this moment. And I thank you because your, your compassion wells up for your kids. You want to save and heal. You want to forgive. You're crazy about them. And out of your love for us, you've been saying, it's gotta be this way because I don't want you to hurt yourself anymore. I don't want you to hurt other people anymore. So, Lord, you see the darkness. You see the scars. You see the shame. And according to the freeing presence and power of the Holy Spirit, I ask you for life today, for healing. For my brother or my sister who feels immense shame, don't. This, is like, this, is part, this can be part of your testimony. Okay, yeah, you know what? I did that. But look how great God forgave me. Don't let Satan throw the stone at you. You're the worst, you're damaged, you're unclean. It's not, it's not true. It's not true. You are as loved by God as any person can possibly be. This is a healing moment. Father God, I pray for those who are experiencing sexual regrets right now. God, I wish I had done that. Would you bring healing right now in Jesus' name?
Would you loose those chains? God, you write our story. We trust you with it. For, for those who are sort of caught in the in-between right now, who, who, who recognize, okay, I haven't been doing it your way, but I want to. Let's just take this as a moment of repentance. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it. I turn to you. Please forgive me. Please write a better story for me. And he will. He will. Because he loves you. Spirit of God, I just, I just ask you, in, in this room right now, just, just minister wherever you need to minister. Just bring healing wherever you need to bring healing. For scars, for disappointments, for anger, for frustration. Please just bring healing right now in Jesus' name. Let us know you better in this life. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.